Good morning, family. So good to see you this morning. Uh, I was sick last Sunday, couldn't be with you, missed seeing your faces. So glad to be with you today. Let's pray together. Lord, these words that we have just sung, we pray that they would not leave our hearts and minds and thoughts uh, too quickly. I pray that those words would really marinate, really percolate uh, in our hearts, uh, how you've put us together for a purpose, and how we need each other. Lord, we we didn't really understand that when we first heard about you. But as we came to realize how much we need you, we need your forgiveness. Uh, We need your very life. We need you to make us right with God. And then you begin that process, and we look back and we say, you were drawing us not only to yourself, but but into a family. So I just thank you for each person who's here today, uh, each person who couldn't be here today, but is part of the family of God. This is your work. This is on your heart. And I pray, Lord, today that uh, as we look at your word, uh, that Holy Spirit, you would just come and move and uh, drive this deep, really deep to the core of who we are. Uh, Give us a a bigger vision of who you are and your heart and what you're doing um, around the world, how you are redeeming a people unto yourself, and it is such a family of nations. And Lord, we sing here, but... uh, We know that's just a pale kind of reflection of the kind of uh, singing and joy and celebration that to which we are heading. And I just pray that everything today would point us toward that. that We'd see you, Jesus. We would see you crucified for us and raised from the dead uh, to give us life, real life, right now and forever. Thank you. Open your word to us now, we ask, O God, in Jesus' name. This is the sixth of seven sermons in a series called Our Identity in Mission. Who are we and what are we called to do together? In our text today, the Apostle Paul is going to be claiming that there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And his point is that each of us who follow Jesus, each of us and every church that belongs to Jesus Christ is part of something really big, the big family of God. So the title of the message today is Finding Your Family. It's an important issue for all of us, perhaps on a lot of levels, finding your family, and our text is Ephesians 4, the first six verses. So follow along as I read. This is the word of God. Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, 
who is over all and through all and in all. Finding your family. I have trouble reading that scripture. It is, it is so pointed to the heart, isn't it? We'll get there. Finding your family. If you've ever been to an Ikea store, anybody ever been to an Ikea store? Yeah. You soon discover that they are uh, not just selling furniture that you have to assemble. They have something else in mind. This massive store steers you from the moment you enter the front door. It steers you to to walk through all these ready-made rooms, living room, kitchen, den, bedrooms, which are all very, very lovely. You, You feel like, I would like to live here. What they are actually selling is a vision for your home. They're selling a vision for your home. It's striking that the marketers and the store designers know that we long for a better home. We do. We long for a better home. Home is supposed to be the place where you are known, where you are loved. It's the place where you find sanctuary. It's the place where you don't have to defend yourself or be defended. You are safe there at home. You know, for many centuries, home had very little to do with the furniture that was in it and everything to do with uh, nurture, finding your identity, and finding your calling and your mission in life. As I mentioned to you in an earlier sermon in this series, over about the past century or so, we have come to no longer expect home to give us our identity and to give us our mission. Now, it's almost as if home is a place that it's something you have to leave. You have to leave in order to decide for yourself who you're going to be and what you're going to do in life. I know that in recent years, The economy has made it really hard on young adults who many have had to return to their parents' home after college because they were unable to find the kind of job by which they could support themselves. But that dream is still alive and well. The dream is to leave your parents' home and eventually to have a home of your own. Today, however, we're doing things a little bit differently. We no longer think about moving down the street from our parents' house to purchase or build our own home, uh, or leaving the old apartment and moving just a few blocks away to get our own place. Now the functions of home, providing us with loving nurture, with identity, with a mission in life, um, those functions are not limited to the place where we sleep. These days, we use the community around us for resources that we pull together in order to fulfill what are actually the historical functions of home. So, for example, when I was a boy, my mother brought coffee home in a Maxwell House or Folgers can. Its only function was to keep the coffee pot going all day with a mediocre cup of coffee, right? (laughs) Today, what do we do? We go to coffee houses where we get exotic coffees, and we can sit and have a conversation with friends if we like, or where we can open our laptop and we can get some work done. And there it is, nurture, relationships, mission, all being fulfilled 
at Starbucks. <laughs> when I was a boy, gym was a class you had to take in school. Now there are gyms all over the community that serve as a place not just to exercise, oh no, it's a place for social interaction. Women spend years in a Pilates class and, and other uh, programs, not because they like being strapped to a machine with pulleys on it, but because it's where they meet their girlfriends. It's a social experience where they gather each week. When I was a boy, the workplace was somewhere my dad went every morning in order to bring home a paycheck. Now, many workplaces have amazing cafeterias for their employees. Our oldest son has worked in New York City in places like Bloomberg's, Foursquare, and Swarm. And their cafeterias and food options are absolutely amazing. They're extraordinary. I think they could rival many restaurants in many small towns. Why did they build such a lovely place to sit and have a nice meal with coworkers? It's not about the food. The managers did that because they're trying to provide a sense of community. So today, your true home is a kind of a construction of relationships that you build, you create from a variety of places. Uh, therefore, we just have a different sense of home in our culture today. Uh, not just the place where you spend the night, but the place where you find belonging. This is where I belong. So, it makes sense when we come to church, we automatically think of it as yet another place, another resource for building our identity and our mission in life. And in a way, it is. But the church is so much more than a resource because we have very different notions here about home. Where do we get our ideas about home in the church of Jesus Christ? You know, unlike the coffee shops or the gyms, uh, the workplaces, where do we gather? We gather around the table. We gather around the table of Jesus Christ. And we're reminded at that table, every time we're there, we're reminded that our home is here and that in our home, there are actually family members that we are still meeting. Have you thought about that as you come here and you, we, we, we gather around the Lord's table? There are family members here that you're still meeting and that there are family members that you will never meet this side of heaven, but they are family members nevertheless, family members that we are called to love as we have been loved by Jesus Christ. And that's part of the Apostle Paul's point. So Paul begins our text in chapter 4 of Ephesians with the word therefore. It's always important uh, to see that. If that word is there, what's it there for? Therefore. That means that the summary statement he's about to make is dependent on the previous chapters and what he's written before. So in the first three chapters of his epistle, Paul describes this amazing community and it doesn't have anything to do with people. It's the community of God. It's the community of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And 
it's like Paul pulls back the curtain and we see this eternal, perfect, inseparable, divine family of love, Father, Son, and Spirit. And what Paul does in Ephesians is to draw us into that home, into that community, into that family. He's saying that you and I, we who trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and follow him as the Lord of our lives, we've been adopted into the family of God. And we shouldn't be able to yawn when we say that. That's amazing. Don't get too familiar with that. That's astonishing that that I would be adopted into the family of God. That you would be adopted into the family of God. So, in a sense, we were right all along. Home is not just the place where you spend the night. Your true home is found in this extraordinary triune communion of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's amazing. And you've been given a place. As we celebrate the Lord's table today, you've been given a place at that table, the table of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity, that word, was never meant to be confusing language, confusing theological term, uh, about the nature of God. It it, it was really designed to give the biblical description of the perfect home. That the Father, what does he call his son? What does the Father call Jesus Christ, his son? He calls him beloved, my beloved. The Holy Spirit invites you to come to this table as one of God's very own beloved children through the one and only beloved son. He looks upon you and he says, my daughter, my son, come. Come. So that is what your baptism proclaims. That you are made a joint heir of God. How did that happen? Didn't happen through anything in you. Didn't happen through anything in me. God decided that you were going to be a joint heir with Jesus Christ, uh, as is everyone else who has trusted in him for salvation. And you've received baptism, water baptism, into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It, It marks you as part of the family of God from age to age. Paul makes the point in Ephesians chapter 2 that Christ, when Christ came into the world, he came to break down the dividing walls of hostility. That's what sin does. Sin builds walls. Sin separates people. So that you who once were far away from God because of your sin, and you who once were far away from each other, I always laugh when I look around uh, this church or any church, there are people sitting together who'd never be together if it weren't for Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ has broken down the wall of hostility. I mean, I have my way of doing things, and I want you to do it that way too. And if you don't, I'm sorry, you're outside the wall. And Jesus says, 
what wall are we talking about here, John? And boom, the wall comes down. That's what he does. That we who once were far away from God because of our sin, far away from each other because of our sin, we've been brought near, together, shoulder to shoulder, side by side. We've been brought into this family of God, into this home. We have a home, and we're sustained. We're, we're, we're adopted and sustained by the work of Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit brings that to us and applies that to us over and over every day. So then Paul gets to our text for today in chapter 4, and this is the heart of what I wanted us to see today. Therefore, he says, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One, one, one. One God and Father. One body, one spirit. One, one, one. This one church that we're part of stretches to every corner of the world. And that means that you are not only a joint heir with Jesus Christ, you are also a joint heir with Sally, Bill, Jack, Joyce. You're a joint heir with Emil, Majdi, Juan, Fyodor, and Sunli, people speaking every language under the sun. All cultures, all colors. Jesus breaks down the walls and says, this is my family, come in. It's a family of nations. That's what we talk about around here. This is your family. And our vision is to be here at New Life Philadelphia, a family of nations. But see, that's just a reflection of God's heart. That's just a reflection of what Jesus is doing in the world. That the family of God is literally a family of nations. And the day will come, and we get a picture of it in the book of Revelation, where, you know, we'll be gathered around the throne of God and the Lamb, and the singing, and the music, and the celebration will be... It's, indes- it will, it's indescribable, and it'll be from all nations. So we get a little taste of that now, don't we? We get a taste of that now, and that, that's because God is good. And he wants us to enter his heart and know his heart and, and value what is on his heart. And all of this is woven into the triune family of God. It all starts with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and their plan of redemption. And uh, it's all woven into the triune family of God through Jesus Christ, our Savior, who went to the cross for us and rose from the dead to give us life and enable us to hear his voice and hear his call when he says, come, follow me. So our little church here in Philadelphia, we need to remember that we've been adopted into this worldwide family of God. It's, It's just an amazing thing. This is a memory that we should have every time we come to the communion table. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, we commune with Jesus Christ. He's alive. He's alive from the dead, and he's here by his Holy Spirit. We commune with him. He's the host. And we commune with all the saints who are here today. Yes, you are a saint. Did you know that? I know there are a lot of days where you don't feel like a saint. Me too. I get it. But that's who we are. We've been set apart unto God, cleansed by the blood of Christ, and we belong to him. So we get to commune. When we commune with Jesus Christ at his table, we're communing with each other, everybody who's here today. And we're also communing. This blows your mind if you really, you know, slow down long enough to think about it. 
We also commune with all the saints who have gone before us. We're not the first ones here. We're way toward the end of the line. (laughs) All who have gone before us, and God was faithful to get them home. And with all the saints who are at this same table, the Lord's table, today, in different parts of the world, all around the world. Think about that as you partake of the Lord's Supper today. So every Communion Sunday here at New Life Philadelphia is also kind of a worldwide, big family celebration Sunday because it's all about God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and their family. Every time you come to this table and you think about your brothers and sisters, you have to remember that some of them are not doing so well today. Some of them are not doing so well today. Some here, some near, some far, not doing so well. And that is a family problem. That is a family problem. When you hear about the church struggling in Iraq, Pakistan, India, Egypt, Syria, Sudan. Those are not just news stories. Those are not just international problems, not for the church. It's a family problem. It's a family problem. Persecution did not end for the church in the 4th century A.D. It has continued to be alive and well and is happening in many parts of the world today. And uh, it breaks our hearts because it is our family. That's the important thing. This is our family that is in trouble. And let's move it a little closer to home. We have other family problems right here in the United States, that in the Church of Jesus Christ in the United States, that are hard to talk about because they have to do with racism or sexism, or poverty, or inequality of various kinds. And I think the recent election has really revealed that to us. The church in the United States is a divided family in so many ways. Our text says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one body, one spirit, but we look around at the church in the United States and it's just fractured, so many ways divided. And we need to be honest about that. We need to not gloss over that and say it's all going to be okay someday. That doesn't, no. <laughs> you have to do more than that. It's a call to prayer, it's a call to action, it's a call to relationship across the wall. The wall's coming down. And that's a good thing. But it's pretty challenging. We have to be honest because there are times when family members in the church of Jesus Christ have done and said terrible things. Things that scandalize the name of Jesus Christ. Pretend for a minute that you're Jesus Christ. And let's remember that the Nazis were claiming to be Christians when they dragged the Jews to the death that the KKK was claiming to be Christian when they lynched black Americans. 
Bosnians. The Serbs were claiming to be Christians when they massacred the Bosnians. These are our family problems, too. I want to disown those problems. But I don't get that luxury in this fallen and broken world. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I don't have that luxury. These are family problems, whether we like it or not. Sometimes here at home, Christians are the ones who are abused. And sometimes it is Christians who are the ones doing the abusing. So like every family, we have our problems. But unlike any other family, we have the Savior and the Lord, Jesus Christ, and you can never factor him out. It's his family. It's his blood that created this family. He poured out his blood for you, for this family. And he is at work in the home. Jesus Christ is at work in the home. We have a great physician who is determined. He is so determined. He has set his face like flint. And he is determined to unfurl the banner of his salvation and his healing over every room in the house. And that's part of our vision. You see it in front of you every day. That this needs to be a place where the broken from all nations are being made alive and whole in Jesus Christ. That's not because we do that. It's because that's what Jesus does. That's what he's about. Man, he's determined. He's cleansing his house. He's healing his house. He's bringing life and joy and peace to his house, to his family. He has a lot of different ways that he does that. Sometimes he comforts us. Sometimes he chastens us. Sometimes he encourages us. Uh, Sometimes he confronts us head on. But at all times, he's calling to us. At all times, Jesus is calling to us. And this is what is in our text today. He's calling to us to live a life that is worthy of the calling you have received. This life you have in Christ, it's a gift. You've received it. Now live like what God says you are in Jesus Christ. These words go right to the core, don't they? Be completely humble and gentle. I don't, I don't think I did that this week. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. I don't think I did that very well this week. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Was there anything I did this week that look like that? There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called. It's all about the calling of God. You were called to one hope. See, his family is a place of hope. It's amazing because we have our brokenness and we have hope. Uh, You know, we're a mess, but we have the glory of God. This is how God works. That's the glory, the beauty of the gospel of his love. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. So at all times, uh, God is calling to us. He's calling to us to walk in this way, to trust him for these things in our lives and in our family life as a church. And the good thing is that at all times as he's calling us, he's also giving us his very own life. If we don't have the life of Jesus, we can't do any of that. 
We can try. We'll make a big mess of it. But Jesus also, he doesn't just give us his call. He gives us himself. He gives us his life. Always he's giving us his life so that we can be about our calling, that his character can be formed in us, so we can be about his work, his mission in the world. He gives us his very own identity so that we can be about this mission. My son, my daughter, I have a job for you today, he says. We can be about this mission of caring for those who are in need, of giving hope to those who don't have options or resources or opportunities. This mission of loving the enemy. Who does that? The people of Jesus. Because his life is in us. So this is our family business. If you wonder about the family business, that's the family business. It's our true vocation, and it's for every one of us who call Jesus Savior and Lord and who call his church family home. Now, when you have a family member, as we all do, uh, different times, you have a family member you love who maybe is not living near you and this person is in trouble. Don't you find that you can't quite rest? You're troubled. You're restless. You know that this family member is in need and you're trying to figure out a way that you might be able to help. What should you do? At the very least, at the very least, you keep voicing prayers for this person you love as you try to figure out how to put some feet on those prayers, right? And that's really what's behind the, our church's mission and ministry. I mean, that's what we do here. That we cannot rest here at home knowing that there are others in, the, in our city and in the world who are part of us and, and, and need our help. And that's why we have members who minister in Central and South America, the Dominican Republic, Guatemala, Japan, Spain, North Africa. We're there. Why are we there? Two reasons. The first is to visit family. We're there to visit family. And the second is we're there to draw others into the family of nations that Jesus died to create. It's also why people in this church serve in various ways in different parts of the city. Some tutor children. Some care for the homeless or feed the hungry. Uh, Others care for women who have been abused or men who are living in shelters. Some work to restore dilapidated houses. And all of this and and much more is, is family business. That's the family business. It's what we do because of what Jesus has done for us. So we we cannot come to this table and commune with the Lord Jesus Christ and think that we are an only child. How often do we live that way? We think that way. We, We function that way, right? As if we're an only child. But we're not only children. Not at all. The table of Jesus Christ is a big, wide, long table. And some in his family, our family, here, near, and far, are hurting today. If you've ever gone on a mission trip, you may know what it's like to stay in the home of fellow Christians there that you meet. And sometimes they sleep on the floor so you can have their bed. They don't ask for money. They don't ask for political lobbying. 
you know what they ask for? If you've gone, you know. They ask to be remembered. They ask to not be forgotten. They ask for your prayers. It's pretty much the same request you get no matter where you go to visit the church in any part of the world. So this is one thing a communion Sunday reminds us of. This this one redeemer, Jesus Christ, who has given us so many siblings in the faith. Same faith, same Lord, same baptism, same body, same spirit. This is what communion has always been about. It's about remembering that, that gospel mission matters. It matters to God. He's the one who has launched the mission of the good news of Jesus Christ out into the world through his people. And apparently people matter to God. I know we all feel like there are times where we could not possibly matter to anybody, let alone God, or we'll meet somebody and we'll say, I don't see that person could matter to anyone. But you know what? The Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. People matter to God. Everybody you meet, everybody you know, and everybody you're going to meet is made in the image of God, bears the likeness of God. And that person matters to God. And if that's true, that person needs to matter to us. And that's that's why we say around here, whatever we're doing, it's, because you matter to God, because you matter to us. It's the gospel that is the engine that runs what we do. And it begins at home. And wherever we're weak in that, if we find as we make our way through the church family here, if maybe we, we, we find that people don't matter to us or, or, or we have the sense that we don't matter well, that's a call. That's a family problem, isn't it? And it's a problem that we need to get on our knees about. Because this is on the heart of God. We need to seek him, to pray, and we need to extend our lives to one another. It's got to begin at home. Because this home, this church, this is the worldwide, this is just one station in the worldwide home of Jesus Christ of which we get to be a part. So it's about one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And it's the same everywhere we go. And and doesn't that change everything? And and isn't that wonderful? Amen.